home. Uh, thank you for joining us. I know that we find ourselves in an interesting season, um, but I'm so I'm so thankful that all of you guys were able to come, were able to listen to us online. Um, we are doing everything that we can to be the church in the year 2020. And it might not feel like the world is moving forward. It might feel that we have regressed to a degree that maybe 2020, because of COVID and all the other things that are taking place, it might feel that, you know, we're, we're not moving forward, that we're moving backwards, that nothing is really happening. But in reality, God is working. And even though it might appear to be, it, it might not be apparent, even though it's not visible, God is working in the invisible. He is working, moving things, pushing things forward. And I am excited to be a part of what God is doing. Now, we are celebrating Advent. Uh, we are in the last year of 2020, finally, and uh, I know many of us are <laughs> excited that 2020 is ending. We're excited for a new year, um, but Advent, we, we, we still want to celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, that's what Advent means. It's the first coming of Jesus, and Jesus has come, and we want to recognize that and celebrate that, and as I said before, we're going to be singing songs, we're going to be transitioning also in the next services, talking about the birth of Christ, but something interesting that the early church did to celebrate Advent, they didn't really recognize the first coming, they of course celebrated that every day, but they also recognized the second coming of Jesus. That's what they did uh, for Advent. That's what traditionally had occurred within the church. They would recognize and hope for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to start off today by looking at this chart that uh, I've shown to all of you guys before. And it is about the kingdom uh, series and how it develops through the Bible. And, and we have done. Uh, we have seen all of this. This has been a, a constant in a year where there has been so many variables. Um, we have looked at, at the kingdom. Uh, I want us to have a foundation of scripture, and I think one way to do that is by looking at the big picture of the scriptures and looking at the kingdom, how it has developed. In the beginning, we saw the law and the kingdom there, and we saw creation, we saw Moses and the hope of the kingdom, that God will do something to restore the earth. Then we see the prophets, and they foreshadow it. Then the writings about meditations and about how we're supposed to live in the kingdom, and then the gospels embodying the kingdom. We see Jesus. He is the personification of God's kingdom. And then we saw an Acts and the Epistles, kingdom community. Now that Jesus has come, how are we supposed to live? And now we're at the very end and we're looking at Revelation. Achieving the kingdom goal. We have seen the big picture of the kingdom develop. 
we've seen. Sometimes we focus verse by verse, and next time we meet, we will look at verse by verse. We're going to be looking at the birth of Christ and looking at Scripture verse by verse. And I encourage you, bring your Bible so you could follow along. It's going to be fun. Um, but we're finishing up this 18, 19-week series that we have started and we're finishing it by looking at a book that it has been full of, of controversy and full of speculation and fascination. And like, what is this book all about? And I, I am sure those who have heard about this book have wondered, have wondered, what is it about? And you probably have felt like, Maybe fear, or maybe you understand the controversy that is with this book. Maybe you have questions that revolve around fear because of this book. This book has been misread, but for right now, I want you to look at this book, at least at the title of the book, and it is called Revelation. What, what, what comes to mind when you look at this title? Think about it, and maybe you, you might think of end times, about earthquakes and firestorms, but for now, just, just focus, on, focus on, the, on the title, Revelation. Where does this word even come from? Well, Revelation obviously comes from the idea to reveal something. Something is being revealed within this book. If we think about the book in Spanish, we know that the book is called Apocalipsis or Apocalypse. And interestingly, this title, Apocalypse, is the type of literature that we would classify the book of Revelation as. Okay, now I have this other question. When we think about Apocalypse, what do you think of? We have probably been influenced by culture, by movies, by maybe other things that we have heard, and we might think immediately end times type of things, maybe left behind type of things. Well, the title of Revelation, the, the title of the book that we're going to look at, look at today comes from the first verse of Revelation. If you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. It is the last book within your Bible, so it's towards the end of your Bible. And if you have it, go with me to Revelation 1.1. If you do not have your Bible, feel free to just look up on the screen. Revelation 1.1 says this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The word revelation here comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which is, comes from, a, Spanish is similar to it, apocalypse, and it's all connected to the word revelation. They are all the same. Apocalypse, apocalypsis, revelation, it's the same meaning. And the meaning of the word is making fully known revelation, disclosure. In other words, when you hear about the book of Revelation, don't think, ooh, scary. No, no. Think, 
God has unveiled something here. God has revealed something here. Consider these words that I have found helpful while reading the book of Revelation. The goal of apocalyptic literature, literature like that of Revelation, is not prediction, but unmasking, unveiling the realities around us for what they really are. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about unveiling what is actually going to take place or what is currently taking place. But what does the book of Revelation specifically unveil? Well, Revelation 1, 5 to 6 says this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. As we could see here, part of Revelation, it's revealing to us something that we've been Repeating here that Jesus Christ is the ruler. He is king. And here specifically, he is the ruler who is above every king on this earth. While kings and presidents, dictators and prime ministers believe that they are the ultimate authority, they are not. They are all under the rule of the king of kings who is Jesus Christ. And something wonderful about this king is that even though he is beyond all these kings, he still loves us. He is higher, transcendent, greater than all of these kings, but he personally loves us. And unlike the kings in this world who make empty promises about making our lives better, Jesus Christ has fulfilled his promises. He has freed us from our sins by dying on a cross. And now, not only are we free from sin, but Jesus has made us into a kingdom and made us priests to serve his God and Father. What a beautiful truth. It would have been enough for Jesus to save us, but he didn't just save us. He shared his royal power, something those in authority don't want to do. But that is what took place with the one who had the most authority. He shared his power. Jesus, the king of the earth, has shared his power in order for us to be a kingdom. Now, How does this look like? How does this power look like? If we have God's power within us, how does that look like? Well, we can certainly say that since Jesus has power, he has been victorious. He was victorious over death. And now since he has shared his power with us, he has made us victorious. Since we are victorious, look at what happens. Revelation 2.7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Think back to Genesis 1. We humans, we were not supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were supposed to flourish, supposed to eat from the tree of life, live in paradise. But instead, we fell under the authority of the serpent, ate from the tree of knowledge, rebelled against God. And everything since then, we've seen it go downward, in a downward spiral. But now, as we read in Revelation, there is a sense of restoration. Restoration to what we had lost in paradise. Those who have become victorious in Christ can experience paradise. Also, those who become victorious in Christ will not suffer the second death. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.11. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There is life beyond death. While it may appear in the visible that life ceases upon death, there is something innate within us that tells us that there is something beyond death, that that is not the end. And the Bible confirms that there is something beyond death. Those who die without Christ await another day when they will suffer another death, as we will see in a few chapters within this book. But those who are victorious in Christ will not experience the second death. Instead, this is what will happen. Revelation 2, 26-28. It says... To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule with them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Those who are victorious in Christ, these people, you and me, if you Recognize that Jesus is your Savior, your King. We, as a people, will gain authority to rule over the nations. What were humans supposed to do in the beginning after creation? They were supposed to rule and to care over the land. But we lost and corrupted that authority. Yet according to Revelation, we will Once again, in a future day, we will gain our authority. And we will receive the authority that Jesus had received from the Father. I like the imagery of Revelation 3.21 to 22. This verse could help us envision the transfer of power that takes place. Revelation 3.21 to 22. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right To sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Jesus speaking. 
And he says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, all those who are victorious. And he gives the comparison that as Jesus was victorious and sat down with his father on his throne, we who are victorious will sit with Jesus and on his throne. We will finally rule as humans were supposed to rule. We will rule here on the earth in partnership with God, just as our Father had intended in the beginning. We will rule with Christ. But we need to recognize this, though. We should not get the idea that we are gods ourselves. While we rule with Christ, Christ will not worship us. We will always worship him. Revelation 42 to 11 says, at once, and this is a very interesting scene, uh, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them, were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, crystal, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And it continues to say, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This scene is pretty crazy. John of Patmos saw God seated upon the throne as the supreme king. There were four creatures that surrounded the king, and they bowed down to him. The creatures do not bow down to mere men. The creatures worship God because he is creator, and he is king of all things. And they worship God day in and day out because God is just that worthy. 
could only imagine. Here at Encounter, we, we encounter a snippet of how beautiful it is going to be when we go and be with our Lord when we worship him. A few verses later, John noted that there was a scroll, and we, we sang about that scroll. According to Patrick Schreiner, the scroll is the instrument of judgment on the enemies of the king, of the enemies of God. No one could open the scroll. No one was worthy to do it, except for one. It was the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And this line is also a lamb who was slain. Revelation 5, 5 through 6 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. So we saw in the previous verse it said lion, and now we see this lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Here we find a human one, a descendant of David, who can open the scroll. He is both a lion and a lamb. I like what one person said about this imagery of Jesus being the lion and the lamb. In one brilliant strike, a stroke, John, the author of Revelation, portrays the central theme of the New Testament. Victory through sacrifice. Remember, Jesus was victorious, but not in the way we would expect. He was like a lion when he resurrected and defeated death, but he defeated death. As a slain lamb, he defeated sin when he died on that cross. What happened when he opened the scrolls? Judgment. Revelation 6, 15 to 17 says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great, for the great day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? No one could escape from the wrath of the Lamb. Here, I know for us it may be difficult to see wrath and judgment, especially when we see a lot of injustice. But here, God is practicing True judgment. No one who has committed evil, who has rebelled against the king, who continues to spread the poison of the, 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 the serpent, no one will be able to escape the wrath of the lamb. The lamb here is defeating evil. In Genesis, we read about the creation, about the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, we read about de-creation. Human rebellion had cursed the earth. And the natural course of human evil led to calamity. But this is not the end. Revelation eleven fifteen says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has come. The kingdom has become, not come, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. 
and he will reign forever and ever. Yes, in Revelation, in the Bible, there is decreation. But it's not the end of the story. There is destruction for all that is evil. But there is change. The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. Rather than seeing decreation as the demise of everything, see decreation not as a destruction, but as the cleansing of the earth. In Revelation 12 to 14, the lamb continues to cleanse the earth. The dragon, the embodiment of all evil, the serpent, Satan died at the hand of Jesus. And in the midst of the cleansing, John saw that those who were victorious over Satan were victorious because of the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. Revelation 12, 11, That they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. They did not so love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You will have victory over death. Over the enemy. If you rely on the blood of the lamb. Rely that Jesus has died on your behalf. That he took your mistakes. When the devil comes to tell you about your sins, point to the blood of the lamb. And also show your testimony. Look, Jesus has saved me. He has changed me. He is the one who is in control of my life. Tell Satan that he has no control. Remind him of his future. Revelation 20, 14 to 15 tells us his future. Then death and Hades, this is Satan, he's in this place, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone who, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Satan and those who are not found in the book of life will be removed from this world. And the image that John sees is that Satan and his followers will be thrown into the lake of fire. All of evil has been dealt with now. Earth has been cleansed. Without Satan and his influence, without the serpent and his followers, the earth appears as a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Similar to how we become new when we are in Christ. We are renewed. Our old selves pass away. The same thing is taking place with the earth. The first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. John saw this new vision, this new world as a new heaven and a new earth. The old curse deteriorating earth had passed away. The sea was no longer. What does that mean? Well, remember back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, there's a sense here as well that within the seas, in the, in the old time, it was full of chaos. You could go look at the seas, and you could tell there's just a lot of commotion, a lot of taking place. The seas represented Tohu Vavohu, it represented chaos, the idea of chaos. That's what was pictured with the seas. And now we're seeing that the sea that represented Tohu Vavohu doesn't necessarily mean that the literal, literal sea will be no more, but the idea is that chaos and futility will be no more. There will be order, there will be peace, there will be shalom. Revelation 21, 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is in the new heaven and new earth. And he dwell and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear. From their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things, old order of things has passed away. And a few verses later, verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I like this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. God is with his people. This is similar to the paradise of Garden of Eden. Man and God walk together, and now God is dwelling with humans. And we will be his. We will represent him well, and in this future, God will personally wipe every tear from your eyes. The pain of death will be no more because there will be no more death. Mourning, crying, pain are all gone. These things, are, they belong to the old ways, the old order, a world that, that is tohu vavohu, a world that is chaos. But in this world, there is a better order. Those who are victorious in Christ will inherit his future. And we will be God's children. This reminds me of the promise God made to David. If you remember, God told David that he would have a son who would be a, a son to God and God will be his father. And we know that this was fulfilled with Jesus. Jesus was God's son and God was his father. But what's neat here is that now we are involved. We have been adopted in Jesus. Not only is Jesus God's son, but now we are sons and daughters. And God is our God. He is our father. God is ours, and we are his children. I love how C.S. Lewis brilliantly puts it. The son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Jesus came so that we would have the relationship he has with God. He came as the
the Son so we could be sons and daughters of God. We have gone from, from Genesis to Revelation. And I think we can conclude this. God is king and he has a plan. In Genesis, we had creation. It was good, but then it was corrupted. God, however, had a plan since the very beginning. In Revelation, we see that God has been working to bring about a more glorious creation. And he is working in the year 2020. Maybe you've struggled with this series because here in America, we don't like monarchies. We don't like having a king. But the Bible nevertheless presents God as king. But he's not a bad king. He's a good king. And he wants to bring his kingdom fully here on earth. And how does he do it? How does he begin this process? God did it through a cross. Through the cross, a human who is also divine, fully divine. Through a human, through Jesus Christ, God became king. And he has launched the kingdom. He shows us what the kingdom is all about. He eats with sinners. He provides food to those who are in need. He heals people's bodies, washes the disciples' feet, and gives them his body and blood. He gives them sacrificial love. Paul and James tells us how, tell us how to live in the kingdom. How do we do it? We are to wait for the return of our king, recognize that Jesus is Lord. We are to eat together. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to share with the poor. And we've seen a lot of images of the kingdom throughout our series. But I want to conclude with the words of Patrick Shiner. He said this, The kingdom is not simply social ethics or heaven or the church or God's sovereignty. The kingdom is much, much larger. Only when we connect the dots from the first page of the Bible to the last do we see, do we begin to see that on every page the kingdom concerns the king, his people, and their place. And at the center of his kingdom, of this kingdom plan, stands a wooden cross covered and blood. And I will ask you this today. Will you be victorious with Christ? Victorious by relying on his sacrifice. Victorious by recognizing that he is the one true Lord. He is the king of kings. Will you recognize that he is Lord? Will you pick up your cross, deny your selfish tendencies, and follow him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for allowing us to meet together, whether it's virtually and the times that we were able to meet in person and with the limits that we have to put and everything that's taking place, Lord. I'm thankful that in 2020, we were, supposed, we were able to gather at times we were able to sing, 
we are able to say that you are king. Lord, I, I pray that we may be hopeful this, this, this year and for all the years to come, that even though we might not be able to see it, you are on the throne, you are in control, and you are moving things, you are putting things into action so that your kingdom could come. We are excited, and we are so hopeful that this world is not all that exists, that what we see presently is not everything, that there is a plan, that there is a better future. And we thank you, Lord, that we are your sons and daughters, and that we are able to participate in your kingdom. We're thankful that we could worship you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.